Dr. Chelsea Newman joins us on the podcast today to chat about her work as a psychiatrist. She talks about the difference between a psychiatrist and psychologist, what the relationship can be like with a psychiatrist, and how she supports the entire family system. She talks about the impact of COVID-19 and how it has led to some very common concerns and how ADHD is not a sign of stupidity. She shares how she prioritizes her relationship with patients to support them where they are and how educating her patients is a critical component of her work. She chats with us about what giving medications an honest try looks like, and she shares how going to a psychiatrist is not a parental failure and what she wishes younger people, like kids, understood about her work. We also have a great extended conversation with her over on Patreon. Patreon is a way that you can support the work that we do here at Learn Smarter, the educational therapy podcast by going to www.patreon.com slash learn smarter podcast. You can support the work that we do here with a $5 a month donation that will give you access to this extended conversation with Dr. Chelsea Newman and all the other fabulous conversations that we've had with other people and professionals who have been on the podcast and some freebies that we throw up there just for our Patreon followers. If you want to be a Patreon rock star for $10 a month, you can get access to episodes a week early and all those other perks that the $5 a month Patreon subscribers get access to as well. We really appreciate it when you join us on Patreon and it really does mean a lot to us. So thank you. Now let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 206 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Cap. And today we're really excited to have Dr. Chelsea Newman joining us. Dr. Newman is a psychiatrist. And we're really happy to have a psychiatrist come on and tell us all the things and all the burning questions we have about what a psychiatrist is. So welcome. Thank you, Stephanie. I'm so glad to be here. Yay. Okay. So let's start off at the beginning. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do and who you do it for? Okay, wonderful. I am a child and adolescent psychiatrist, but I also work with all ages And I currently work in private practice and I have a business called West Coast Integrative Mental Health. So it's me, myself, and my business partner, who's a therapist as well. Her name's Allie Wolf-Grady. And we also have other therapists working for us too. And so my work is working with children, families, adults as well to provide psychiatric assessment, consultation, and treatment. Fantastic. And we will link all your information in the show notes. So if our audience is driving or walking the dog, we got you. (laughs) But what is the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist? Start there. Yeah, that's a very important question. So psychiatrists have attended medical school and they have medical degrees. And then they've completed four years, sometimes six years, depending if they do fellowships of psychiatric training. And so that means a residency where they worked studying neurology, medicine, you know, psychiatry, and have 
completed that training after medical school. And the work they do tends to be psychiatric assessment, which is diagnosis of mental health conditions, as well as treatment. And treatment can be multiple things. So it can be medication management, it can be lifestyle changes, nutritional exercise, you know, working on those pieces as far as general health. And it also is psychotherapy. So we do a lot of psychotherapy training as well. So I think depending on the person and their type of practice, they incorporate all of those components. Psychologists have a PhD in psychology and and they tend to be either clinical psychologists or research as well when it comes to mental health. And so they don't necessarily have medical training and they are not necessarily prescribers. So that's the the key difference. Um, And they tend to have a lot of therapy training more so than psychiatrists, I would say. And when we're talking about psychotherapy, we're talking about talk therapy and the different varieties of methods that we know that are out there that help with different things that people are struggling with. So I just wanted to clarify that as well. Yes. So talk therapy being, you know, when you're talking to a therapist, often most likely it's a once weekly, sometimes more, sometimes less, depending on what type of therapist you're seeing. There's a lot of different specialties as well. So we have psychodynamic therapists, we have cognitive behavioral therapy, all different types of therapy, but yes, different than educational therapy, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, <laughs> and often they go hand in hand as well. Yeah. Yes. Yes, they do. So I wanted to know when you have clients coming to you, tell us all about what they've been through, the parents and the kids, what they've been going through by the time they get to you, because usually you're not the first stop. Yes, exactly. That is a very good point. And a lot of times they have already been seeing a therapist, a talk therapist, whether it's for anxiety, depression symptoms, behavioral difficulties, all kinds of different presenting concerns, substance use, difficulties in school, right? Social anxiety. We see all of that. But often when they've gotten to the point where they're coming to see me in my practice, things have been pretty hard for them. Often primary care providers are the first stop, right? As far as assessment and screening for mental health concerns. And they may also be prescribing um, medications to help out, recommending therapy. And so sometimes people have never seen a psychiatrist before who show up to my clinic. Often they have, and they're making a change, or maybe they've tried medicines or interventions that haven't been very helpful. And so sometimes when people come to me, they've already been struggling for a long time. And I work with a lot of families who you know, have young children or adolescents who are also struggling academically, right? And the mental health concerns can be contributing to them struggling academically as well. And so that's my job is to try and piece that out, to collaborate with the school, to collaborate with their primary care providers and their therapists and their educational therapists if they're on board, right? And all of us to work together as a team to be able to understand what's happening, what is contributing to these difficulties. And a lot of times it can be mental health concerns that you know require treatment because they've already had different professionals working with them and observing that. And also 
a lot of times they've already seen a neuropsychologist to assess for underlying learning difficulties, ADHD, mental health concerns, because they can do the diagnostic assessment too. So they come to me with those reports outlining the diagnosis already so that I'm here to take the next step of treatment and recommendations for treatment. What should new clients coming into working with a psychiatrist expect? And what are really good questions to ask a psychiatrist? I know with the clients we work with, oftentimes they want to do educational therapy first, which by the way, is fine and great to do that before starting medication. But what should parents know? So it's a really good question. So the initial assessment, when a family comes to see a psychiatrist, we're going to do a lot of discussion around the presenting concerns. We're going to talk about past medical history, mental health history, educational history, developmental history, all of those pieces, as well as family history, because that contributes a lot often to what's happening for the young person. Obviously, genetics play a role in what young people are going through. And a relationship with your psychiatrist is something that initially we want that to be an exploration period, a period to be able to have your psychiatrist understand what is happening for you to get to know you. It is also an important therapeutic relationship to have with your psychiatrist because Obviously, their role is to understand what's happening for you and also then to walk with you through the journey of healing, mm-hmm. walk with you in your life as you grow up, especially for young people through development, because often symptoms change, right? And often presentations change. And as you get the help that's helpful as far as any type of educational supports, therapeutic supports, whether we choose to utilize medications. Ideally, our goal is for your symptoms to be well-managed, for you to be able to function and live the life that you're wanting to live. And so that is something I think that a lot of people ask and a lot of families are wondering is, what does this look like? How do we move forward? And so initially, depending on what we're working on together, we might meet more frequently initially, right? We might be working together to find the right medication combination or find the right lifestyle factors that can be helpful for helping and and making sure we're coordinating the right professionals to provide the support that you need. As time goes, often you don't necessarily need to be seeing me as often, right? Because things are going well. But it's important for families to understand that our role as psychiatrists is to be a place where we can have some clarity, we can have some confirmation of what's happening. And if we don't have information, we can seek it out and find the best ways as far as being able to have that clarification as far as what can be helpful and what's happening and what's underlying. So I find a lot of the work I do is working with young people as they grow and through different stages of their life and supporting the families as well. And that may mean recommending that the family itself engages in family therapy. It may mean that the family perhaps has other family members that could use mental health help as well. And so I'm supporting the entire family system in the work we do, as well as being able to collaborate with others in the community that are supporting these families and their growth. When you talk about how things are presenting for your practice and what you see specializing in the children and adolescents, what are some of the most common presenting problems that they come to you with? I want parents to know 
that what might feel like normal to them doesn't have to be that way. So what are some things that you hear all the time, all day, every day? So a lot of young people are presenting, especially with COVID-19 and the pandemic, a lot of young people are presenting with social anxiety or anxiety related to the transition back to school or anxiety related to the academic pressures that they're now facing after COVID-19 and that transition that's happening from virtual learning to in-person learning and all that comes with that and all of the expectations that they have academically as well. Yeah, I'm sure. And so what does that look like? School refusal? Yes, what other things might they be, you know, putting themselves in their room and not wanting to socialize? Yeah. And it presents as anxiety. It presents as panic attacks. It presents as not sleeping well, right? Insomnia difficulties, social isolation, young people often seeming to not be as interested in the things that they usually enjoy doing. Tummy aches. Right. Stomach aches, headaches, illnesses. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it can also be difficulties academically, right? So not doing well in school or yes, not going some of the days of the week or not being able to get out of bed in the morning. And a lot of times parents present saying, my child is really irritable and grumpy really frustrated all the time. And it seems like no matter what I say, I'm not saying the right thing. And they're isolating in their bedrooms, you know, most of the time. And we don't know what to do with this. And I work with families to understand the signs of depression, anxiety, and also to kind of build that communication so that parents have an understanding of what's underlying. But I think those are probably the most common presenting concerns, as well as young people having been out of school as far as the regular intensity of their academic expectations, now facing that again. And if there are underlying learning disorders, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, other components that may have been really difficult with virtual learning and, you know, dealing with that process as well as the transition back to in-person school. One of the things that Steph and I have really taken to heart is something that Thomas Brown has talked about, which is that most physicians, pediatricians only get like 15 minutes of education in their entire medical career on things like ADHD. And so we really encourage parents to seek out the support of a psychiatrist if they're choosing to medicate because we really want that expertise of you, frankly, this is where your training is. So I guess our question is, what do parents and kids need to know about medication that maybe they don't understand fully when they're meeting with you? And that's part of like the education process that we have to go through with parents. Yes, there are some really amazing resources on the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry website. There is actually a parent medication guide that has outlined multiple pages about the diagnosis and treatment options and the medications and details. So I always provide that to the families I'm working with, and I can provide you with that resource. That would be great. We'll go ahead and link it in the show notes. Yeah, perfect. And when we're talking about medications for ADHD, which to clarify is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which can be the different subtypes. So this can be inattention only, which more commonly presents in females as inattention only. It can be hyperactivity only, 
right? Where it isn't necessarily the inattention that is a problem or executive functioning impairment, but more the hyperactivity. Or it can be combined type, right? Which can be the inattentive and the hyperactive. So each individual's brain is different. It's wired differently. Each individual has different components to why medications may help, why medications may be effective, and why potentially they may have side effects or certain things about the medications that will be a reason why it is helpful or not. And we have so many different formulations and we have so many different types of medications that can be helpful that that's why you want a psychiatrist who has experience, who's been able to have a practice where they have utilized these medications and seen the pros and cons and the different nuances of them. We have new medications being developed by pharmaceutical companies regularly for ADHD. And so often I will see young people who've tried the standard medications and they weren't helpful or they didn't tolerate them for certain reasons, right? And then we end up trying some that perhaps a provider who isn't as experienced isn't aware of or doesn't have the experience using. And so I think that's where psychiatry, especially child and adolescent psychiatry, because we do work with a lot of young people with ADHD, is really important because one medication may help someone and another person may not have the same response, right? And so it's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all when it comes to medication for ADHD and for other mental health concerns, obviously. So my question is, I know that there are people out there that have tried all the different medications. They'll say like nothing has worked, nothing has helped, or they've had horrible side effects or whatever has come about. How many people do you think that actually none of the medications will work? That's a very good question. I would say I can't speak to percentages. Anecdotally. I definitely have observed the side effects being inhibitory as far as your ability to continue taking them. And that is a difficult situation to be in. Yet we do have other strategies that I'll recommend that we can use. But it is something that can be frustrating because obviously we want young people to develop and grow. And if appetite is inhibited or you feel really anxious on the medication, sometimes there are paradoxical reactions, which means the opposite of what we expect, right? Instead of you feeling like you're better able to focus and your hyperactivity improves and you feel less impulsive, we see somebody become more hyperactive and more irritable and unable to focus. So those things can definitely happen, but much less common, I would say. And we do have medicines that are formulated to have less side effects and to be tolerated better. And then we have alternatives to some of the normal dopamine agonist stimulant medications that may be better tolerated as well. And so if you're a person who hasn't been able to tolerate any of them, and granted, there are so many options that I don't tend to run into that problem very commonly, But if that's the case, then we're going to talk about nutritional components that can be helpful, enhancing iron intake and protein intake, exercise, especially exercise before doing tasks that require your sustained attention. And we're also going to very much recommend and focus on executive functioning support, right? And utilizing tools, cognitive behavioral interventions that can help you to be able to organize yourself and target that executive functioning difficulty. 
or educational therapy. Especially <laughs> educational therapy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I know that there are people out there that feel like they have no hope. Like, oh, I've tried everything and nothing works. Don't give up. Don't give up. And I can tell you, a lot of people come to see me with that complaint. And there are other tools in our toolbox when it comes to psychiatry that we can utilize and try. So it's an important thing. In our experience, there's a couple of different things that can happen with families as far as medication. I think more often than not, parents are hoping that educational therapy will be enough. And sometimes the kids really want the medication because they're really feeling the impact of whatever is going on with them. Or sometimes the parent is the one that really wants the medication and the kid is reluctant. So what do you do in those situations where, in your case, it would be the parent bringing the kid, right? The kid can't make the appointment themselves. But what would you say to kids who really just aren't interested in pursuing medication, especially if they have tried a lot of different things? My role is to make sure that I'm understanding what the young person is experiencing, what is bothering them about this. And a lot of times, and I think you both have talked about this in your podcast previously, they're presenting as feeling low self-esteem, incompetent, I'm stupid, I can't do this, I'm not good at this, there's something wrong with me. But my role is, is to make sure that they understand what is the underlying component as far as the ADHD symptoms and how that's not tied to intelligence, right? And that is not a sign that you are stupid or that you're incompetent and unable to do what you need to do. But my role is to provide a lot of education and to talk about it and to meet them where they're at to make sure that that I know what pieces of this are bothering them. And then we talk about what could maybe be helpful. But my relationship with them is incredibly important for that because obviously nobody wants to take pills. Obviously, nobody wants to feel yucky because they're taking pills, right? And it's not fun to take pills, of course. It's hard to even remember them. And when you're a young person, that's the last thing on your mind is to take your medication. Or they present and they really do want medication. But when it comes to young people in particular, we're going to talk about those side effects. We're going to discuss what you've experienced in the past. I'm going to tell them, I want you to show up and tell me what you don't like about this. Let's work on that together. We can make changes if we need to. What about the kids that come in and say, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong. I don't need this. I'm doing fine type of attitude. You know, obviously this is not true, but like they've got their heels in the sand, like just dug in as far as they can go. And is that something that, you know, takes a while for you to establish the relationship and get there with them? Yes. And it's common for us to have our first assessment. We talk about obviously why they're seeing me and being able to be transparent about that's really helpful and important too. So always I'm wanting to make sure the parents are on board with, is it okay that we talk about diagnosis and what's been established? Is it okay to talk about medications with them so that we're all a team discussing these things because we want them to be at home having these conversations, right? We want them to be discussing what it's like and what components of what they're going through are bothersome to them. We want that to be a dialogue within the household and maybe even with your teachers, right? And those pieces as far as what can be helpful in accommodations. But if young people don't have insight into it, that's my job is to help build that insight and to help provide that 
understanding and to be able to say, here are the things I'm hearing from your parents or your teachers, or here's why you've been referred to me. You know, are there pieces of this that may be getting in the way for you, that may be making it hard for you to do the things that you need to do? And school, if you're struggling, you know, maybe we can work on this together to find what might be able to help you and provide that educational piece. And yes, we'll have to potentially have more appointments to build that relationship and more time for them to do their own research on themselves, right? To do their own let me reflect on these things that we're talking about and come back and maybe say if yes, this is something. And sometimes we even will talk about starting medicines and saying, hey, let's just see how this helps you, right? And if you don't like it, I want you to come back and tell me what you don't like about it. And if it doesn't help you, come back and we'll talk about that, right? And I'm here for that. And I want to hear in between sessions if you if there's something that is or isn't helpful. So it, it is a very important piece to be available because this isn't something necessarily that we want people to feel alone in this journey of finding what does help. How long do you ask them to try a medication for? If we're starting a new medicine, we are hoping it's going to be a week or two at least to give it a try, right? And that's where we're going to start. And I say, if you don't like it, let me know. We'll stop it right away. And the good thing about medicines, especially if we're talking about ADHD, is they work today and they wear off today right? If we're talking about the specific dopamine agonist stimulant medications, other ones, we need a, a little longer time to see how it helps, but it's really neat for us to be able to work together to find, okay, how did you feel these last few days in school? Did it help you focus? Do we need to increase the dose? Do we need to decrease the dose, right? Those are the things we work on very closely together. And it's really nice because for ADHD, the medicines we can, we can find the right combination. We can find the right dose quite quickly as we work together to analyze what it's helping with. Part of it too is depending on how helpful it is for you, depending on how you tolerate it, right? It can be that we need to check in more regularly as we're starting to try things. And then after we find what works... It's something that we don't necessarily have to meet as frequently with your psychiatrist. Yeah, you can taper off. Yeah. Yeah. So we can't thank you enough for the time that you've given to us. And we're excited to continue the conversation with you on Patreon. But one last final question that I have is what do you wish people knew and understood about the work that you do as a psychiatrist? There's two parts to this question because there's an answer for parents and for the children. Right. And number one is parents, this is not a failure on your part. This is not something you should be ashamed of considering the potential benefits of medications for your child. And I a lot of times see families come to me feeling like this is something that they should have done differently. This is something that is hurting their children to consider medications. And this is them not being able to provide the parenting that was needed. I want them to not feel that way. I want them to understand that mental health conditions are like any other illnesses. And that's how we talk about it. As far as we want you to be able to receive the treatment you need and move forward with your life and to feel like this is something that is just a standard 
similar to any other medical kind of practice and a medical kind of need and not something that you should feel ashamed of. Um, and I think there is and always has been a stigma around mental health um, as far as it being a weakness or being something that's a reflection on your character. And I want parents to understand that this is something that is very common. And a lot of people see psychiatrists throughout their lives and at different times for different reasons. And it's something that can be very empowering and very supportive. Regarding young people, I want the young people to understand that seeing your psychiatrist is a safe space. It's a confidential space. It's a place where you can be yourself and share things that may be scary to you, that have been difficult for you, that are maybe even difficult to talk to your parents about. And is someone who can be supportive and there for you through difficult times, whether it's as a child, as an adolescent, as a young adult, and later on in life. And it is something that I think having a psychiatrist to follow you, just similar to a primary care provider to support you with different mental health concerns, is how we should be practicing as far as mental health care. It's a perfect place to sort of put a bow on this episode, but I know our audience is going to want to connect with you. So what is the best way to do that? Yes. So my website is www.westcoastintegrative.com. And on that site, you can read about our providers that we have in our practice. And we have a link there if you want to contact us to request a consultation. We also have a phone number on the website that you can call to reach any of us and to ask any questions you may have. Perfect. And we will go ahead and link that website in the show notes so our audience can easily connect with you. We're licensed in California and currently providing virtual care. Which we all love. Yeah, great. (laughs) So Dr. Chelsea Newman, thank you so much for taking the time to be on our podcast. And can you do our signature sign off? Have a great week, Smarties. Have a great week. Have a great week.